This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Charles Tiede, co-founder and CEO of Zapnito. I was very much impacted by a talk I heard from a guy named Gerd Leonhardt, who's futurist. And I was seeing social media, you know, kind of creating a lot of noise out there. And this is back in 2000, you know, 2010, 2011. And it was bothering me. I think the noise was getting, you know, heavier and heavier. One of the things that was bothering me in that model is this idea of like trusted collective intelligence was being lost in that noise. Yeah. And actually at that time I was working for you know, a trusted business information company and they were really struggling with this new paradigm. And I thought, well, in the heart of what they're doing is about trust, collective intelligence, but the way they're delivering it is totally old school and archaic. So yeah, the big idea was to you know, help return the internet back to its original premise, which was around collective intelligence from experts, you know, sharing with each other. This is Charles. He was born in the USA, studied at the San Francisco State University and achieved a Bachelor of Arts degree in design and industry. His previous roles have included the interim chief product officer and digital system director at Natural Publishing Group, chief technology officer and group operations director at Informa and product manager at Blue Shield of California. He has also acted as a member for Women Who Tech. Today, he is the CEO and co-founder of London-based Zapnito, a software-as-a-service, knowledge-sharing and expert community platform. Zapnito helps event organizers, expert networks, membership and subscription businesses to deliver expertise on demand and build sustainable communities. And this triggered me, and hence I invited Charles to my podcast. We explored a growing challenge that the noise of the internet is just getting louder and louder. It's harder to have a voice. It's harder to create and share collective knowledge and intelligence. And it's harder to create trusted places. We discuss why it's so key to bring that original premise of the internet back in order to solve the new challenges that are ahead of us, to deliver remarkable value and create sustainable advantage on the back of that. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, how the power of communities can help to push boundaries and avoid the risk of the so-called echo chambers. 
Secondly, while trust, quality and diversity are essential ingredients for success in creating expert communities that have staying power. Thirdly, how switching your approach from being a vitamin to being a painkiller can become the tipping point for your software business. And fourthly, how having a sense of humor and fun helps you get through the tough times in a much easier way. Hi Charles, thank you very much for being on my podcast today. Hey Tom, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And let me see how, this, uh, how we organize this. I reached out, I looked at the platform that you're creating, and of course, I'm running a tribe myself on the community platform, so I'm always interested to see what others are doing. That's how I came across your company, Zapnido. And I like what you're doing there and also the approach you're taking. So that's why I invited you and wanted to, uh, to share a little bit of the bigger vision behind this. But before we start on that, a little bit about you, not your whole history, but if you characterize yourself as an entrepreneur or as a person, what words would come up? <laughs> so I guess I'm, I would say I didn't start out as an entrepreneur. You know, I'm a self-forced entrepreneur. I decided to, it was something I had to do. I was possessed by the idea of being an entrepreneur and decided I had to do it. So Yeah, I mean, I would describe myself as somebody that wants to test the boundaries and experience things. And I guess I see myself more as a creative person and to create things that have an impact versus just, you know, just to, just to make money, if that makes sense. Money makes too. total sense. Music to my ears. It's actually why I have the subtitle of my book being what it is. Yes, that's uh, I have a copy right here in front of me, which I was just saying, <laughs> uh, it's good, that's, some awesome parts. That's also music to my ears. So, yeah, but, but that, that, that interests me. Test boundaries, being creative, and create impact. So, talking about Zepnido, what sparked it? What's the big idea behind it? I think it's a series of events and ex experience. So, I'm, you know, I have a 20-year corporate experience, maybe 15. I'm not sure. I'll, let's say 15. And <laughs> I think along the way, I was very much impacted by a talk I heard from a guy named Gerd Leonhard, who's a futurist. And I was seeing social media, you know, kind of creating a lot of noise out there. And this is back in 2000, you know, 2010, 2011. And it was bothering me. I think the noise was getting, you know, heavier and heavier where, you know, in this mix of basically democratizing the web and giving everybody a voice that created a new problem, which as I've said before, that's given everybody a voice on the internet, right? So well, that's a good thing, but it also has the knock-on effect of creating, you know, noise, a lot of noise. And so I thought along the way, you know, one of the things that was bothering me in that model is this idea of like trusted collective intelligence was being lost in that noise. Yeah, and actually at that time I was working for, you know, a trusted business information company And they were really struggling with this new paradigm. And I thought, well, in the heart of what they're doing is about trust, collective intelligence, but the way they're delivering it is totally old school and archaic, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, at least in the model where I was. And so they, you know, obviously evolved. But so, yeah, the big idea was to you know, help return the internet back to its original premise, which was around collective intelligence from experts, you know, sharing with each other. So the big idea is not to necessarily reclaim the internet and build collective intelligence just from Zapnito, which I think is actually 
the antithesis of that idea. The internet should be open <laughs> and free, but to be a part of that, like Wikipedia, I see as collective intelligence, you know, the communities that are out there are collective intelligence. So that's the big idea. It's not just a great community. It's about helping organizations, you know, build that up. I can absolutely see where the problem indeed is and that, yeah, it's necessary that these spaces are created and that the right people are brought together in order to bring that knowledge together. I mean, first of all, maybe not only for their own organization, but also because the whole working population in the world is actually declining. Mm. So all the people that are actually leaving the workplace also have an incredible amount of knowledge with them that, uh, that also needs to be captured in one way. I'm not sure whether you thought about that, but that's, yeah, a, absolutely. that's not a big thing. Yeah. Yes, well, so that's the big idea. So let's imagine that everybody in the world is using your platform. What will it look like? What is the opportunity if you get this right? Well, I guess in some ways that would not be the ideal that everybody in the world is using our platform because then we'd be Google, right? <laughs> so we're not here. Yeah, we're not here to do that. We're here to create trusted spaces. And I'm not saying, you know, I mean, obviously it'd be awesome if there were trusted spaces of experts around the world on a global level, you know, with a lot of the happening. But I guess if, let's say, people use that NETO to, or really our clients, to find that trusted knowledge and a place where expertise, true expertise is valued, and you don't have these echo chambers, and you have, you know, you have people pushing the boundaries of what is, you know, what is happening. So I guess, yeah, in some respects, I wouldn't want everybody using ZAPNEO. In other respects, I would want the right people in the right places in these trusted spaces, for sure. Yeah, yeah I get what you mean with that. Now, I mean, you, you mentioned a number of things already. Trust, very big issue. The echo chambers, which I think is a big danger in companies. I constantly see that every, everybody starts off on everybody aligned. And at some point when you get success, complacency kicks in. I think this is an element of that and how you can avoid it. So if I look at the solutions that you have, are they typically used within the four boundaries of a company or is it deliberately, are you deliberately pushing your customers to have external people joining as well? Oh, it's definitely the latter. So almost all of our communities are external in their focus. So we're not an internet platform yeah. by nature. Yeah, it's definitely not something. We see knowledge as being something that is porous, right? And internets are about sharing knowledge within you know, a company, which is great. But if we were to work with a company, it would be, you know, beyond their employees, it'd be with their experts, with their clients, with their, you know, their alum and all that stuff. Definitely. Yeah. If I look at it, broadly speaking, I mean, I actually wrote a blog about this, I think one or two weeks ago, that there's a lot of companies out there that actually miss, from my perspective, miss out on a big opportunity to create communities for their customers, bringing all those experts together and help them level up in their profession and so on. So how, how should I see that? Is that an aspect of, uh, see, do you have customers that use the platform exactly for that? Absolutely. We have clients like Nature, for example, their biggest customer base is their authors. The authors are the ones providing, you know, the content into the community. So experts are, you know, experts are everywhere and your greatest experts are sometimes your customers. So absolutely, yeah. I totally agree. And I think it's one of the best ways to, engage with your customers is to get their thought leadership and get their, you know, their best practices out to the world for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like you say, there's a lot of information that you can be found on the internet, but a lot of it where it really gets to the essence of things and where real value comes in, it needs to be trusted. So it needs to be behind the firewall, behind the passwords and yeah, with people that, that actually trust each other. 
And I think that, that the environment right. for that is should facilitate that. So talking about that, so the solution, well, how long has it been on the market? So we've been, as a SaaS platform, because we started out as a marketplace of experts, actually, we pivoted. And so we've been out there since 2014. Yeah, okay. As so a SaaS platform. Go yeah. from 2014 on the market. I mean, that whole journey from then to now. I mean, you already mentioned you've pivoted once. I can, of course, see you've already mentioned intranets. So how do you position yourself in that space? And so what have you done in this case, technology-wise, to differentiate the platform, to make it unique in what it does and what it can bring yeah, as, as a value to customers? I think it's in line with our vision. So our vision is in the fabric of what we do. And so we don't look at Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn as our role model for building community. And we are in the community category, but we see us being something bigger than that, if you will. Something going back to what I talked about earlier is around this idea of creating trusted spaces of collective intelligence. So our differentiation is that one, we never started out to be a community platform, <laughs> which makes us, I think, the best community platform because that's not what we, what we tried to do. And two, our whole view on community is very different from the other guys. Although we do have a lot of community features, we see it as just one of the pillars for driving engagement and collective intelligence, definitely. Let me make a small interruption here. Charles just made a critical comment about how they've created defensible differentiation by not looking at their competitors as a role model. They set out to solve a specific, valuable, and critical problem and then choose their unique routes to solve it. And this highlights a core trait that sets remarkable software businesses apart. They aim to be different, not better. And these are traits that you can master as well within your own software business. And to get started, I'd recommend you to read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can buy either the hard copy or the audio version on Amazon.com. Back to the interview. That's interesting. So explain, like, how is it different from a community? I think we see community as a component. We see the networking as a component. We see the knowledge sharing as a component. We see community as not something that necessarily needs to have a lot of chit-chat on, but about creating a product for our clients that has staying power. So when we talk to clients and prospects, we're talking about building something of value that can last for a long time. It's not, yeah. you know, you don't need to have a lot of people chit-chatting on it. You know, that helps, but that's the community component within the overall framework for us. It's just one component as far as we're concerned. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> well, I mean, that, I, mean I, I, get, I get your point about chit-chat because that's, well, sometimes it, it helps with finding the nuggets, but sometimes, of course, value can be created by bringing two people together, two experts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, it's about creating value and conversations is, you know, creates value. So does an online course. So does a video panel discussion. So does the, you know, mentorship that can happen. So yeah, absolutely. Conversations should be fluid. And that's definitely something that we, we care about. So what intrigues me then is like, how do you capture that knowledge? I mean, of course, there are, there are so many different ways these days. Of course, one of the things that immediately pops up is like written, written language. Of course, there's also so many, there's podcasts, there's video conferences or video calls that we do today. Does it all contribute to the same platform? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think there's different levels of learning and different styles of learning. Some people like highly structured learning approaches like master classes and other people like chit chat, right? Like there's a whole spectrum 
and other people like to just have conversations like this. This is how I learn is through conversations like this with Utah. It's, I don't really learn from taking online masterclasses. It's not a way for me to learn. So what we try to do is factor in different learning styles into the platform. I would say that we're much more of a dynamic learning model based on dynamic content that can be less structured, but we also do have structured capabilities. So we try to do you know, both sides of the spectrum there. And yeah, I mean, I think that's an ongoing journey, though, to get that right. It's definitely not, I'm not going to you know, raise my hand and say we've nailed it. And anybody that has, has, does say they nail it, well, they're, they're probably out of date as soon as they say it. <laughs> so, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd also make it searchable and so on. One of the things, of course, with expert communities is that you then make it accessible to a far larger group of people. How does that typically work? I mean, the great thing about, you know, we do a lot of things with event organizations. And the great thing about the online community component is that it gives them the potential for a global reach, right? And at the same time, I kind of see, and I've said this maybe in the past, is that I see it like a pyramid, if you will. You have a network, which I think you call your tribe. And then you have your community, which is the wider group. And then you have an audience, which is a much wider group. So it's, yeah. it's very hard, you know, I mean, people talk about the Apple community, right? There are a bunch of consumers in an audience, right? And then there's the users. So community is something to really nurture. And then you have your sub networks on top of the pyramid. So I think we like more sort of niche, smaller groups that are exchanged at a similar purpose, like 10,000 people versus hundreds and hundreds of thousands. If it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands, they're a consumer, they're an audience member, as opposed to part of the deep network. That's just my view. Yeah, well, so of course, there are a couple of companies around the world that are so big, and obviously they want to kind of share the knowledge and the experience as well, but yeah, you got to- Yeah, it's it. just, that's a definition, probably based on my background in you know, mostly in B2B and academic you know, publishing and things like that, yeah. Okay, so going through- product strategy, defining how you're going to build a product. One of the people that I always admired is Steve Jobs. And one of the things about innovation that he always said is like, it's not about what you say yes to it, but what you say no to. Were there any things on that journey where you say, hey, it's an important thing, but no, because it maybe takes us off our track. Yeah, absolutely. We call that vision debt, but sometimes you have to say yes to some things. So you have to, you have to wait, but that creates debt. So there might be something, and there's some things we'll just never do. We just will say, we're never going to do this because one, it doesn't land on the vision. And two, we think it works against the model. So definitely, and I think we've learned through the journey because a lot of our, well, we're very much revenue oriented in terms of how we fund. So we fund through revenue. So we have, our customers definitely have a big voice in our product journey and we listen to that. But the good thing is they're very aligned to what we're trying to do because they buy into the vision. But sometimes we'll get something where it's just like, it's taking us off the path of the vision. So we use this thing, which I think I'll, I'll send to you, which is called Radical Product Canvas. And it's all about vision. Radica Dutz. So yeah, yeah, you know that. Huh? Awesome. Yeah, so we love she that. Was on my post. She was on the podcast. Was she? Okay, yeah. I just, I mean, I actually need to connect with her. So it's a really great tool and we use that all the time. So shout out to them, for, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Now she's got a great vision on that. And likely this year or end of the year, she's got a book coming out on, this, on the same topic. Oh, great. She's been on the podcast, I think, last year. So yeah, what I'm interested in is to see an example of one of your customers and sort of the before and after 
starting to use the platform? How does it make them a different organization? Does it give them a competitive advantage? What levers go up and down? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in part, it depends on the client, obviously, and they're the vertical or sector they're in the use case. I think you're probably in the, you know, the early years, if you will, it was about innovation. So helping them with innovation and they're struggling with some innovation. And also that was challenging with their development teams and things like that. And we obviously had a platform that could help them launch new products very quickly. So that was probably, I would say, stage one of our journey in that. And then stage two is really, you know, I would say bringing their experts and their audience together as a reaction to social media, I think. I think there's a trend, you know, downwards on social media in terms of your impact that you could have on social media because everybody's on there, going back to your earlier point. So those are the two, I think the two big levers. And obviously the stuff that's happened since COVID around events has also been a massive lever because you've had this sort of status quo for 20 years of face-to-face events, disruption, chaos, <laughs> and then new normal and then new status quo. And we really see ourselves not in the chaos side and answering the chaos. It's about the new status quo, which is about online communities that live alongside the event. So that's a been a big trend for us. So I'd say the trend down on social media in terms of trust and the trend up on online communities because events are going to move into more of a hybrid model and you need a glue and the glue is the community. It's not a virtual event. It's not an event. The glue is an online community with a global reach. So that, yeah, that's yeah, the commercial at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I see what you mean because all these events yeah. at the end are typically one-off things and then everybody spreads out. And what you want at the end is that the things start to strengthen each other that the conversation right. continues, that yes, you can keep yeah. connecting with the people that were at that event and take the ideas from the event forward, well, building the expertise around it. Exactly. And that's where quality really matters. So we really care about quality. So we're not here. We're not a volume play like a lot of our competitors. We really look for quality communities when we talk to prospects. It's really important to us that they're also making an impact on their community. And so that's important to us. I'm not saying that we exclude anybody, but we definitely look for quality because it, it's important to us for sure. So, so what defines the quality then? I mean, I'm running a, a tribe myself. And I mean, at the end, the art is to get the people to, well, to get them to engage. Yeah, that unlock the value from there. And question is like, what has that got to do with quality or is it got mindset? I mean, how do you facilitate that? I think it's about having the right people in the right place. And then you have the right curator, right? Yeah. You, know, you have that facilitator. So that's the huge part of it is you get back. You know, I say this all the time. You get back what you put into these, these communities. Yeah, and at the same time, people are really busy. And so you have to be patient with them, people like me, right? <laughs> so so I, I want to join every conversation. I want to be at every you know, Friday talk, but I can't. So just staying engaged with them like you are. And I think that... So it does come down to the right people, the right place, and the right curator. And I would obviously, you know, state that it's the right platform. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I mean, we talked about the big idea, the opportunity where you get this right, kind of the things that you've done differently in, in order to, to differentiate your product. When you put it on the market, what have you learned from selling this new approach? And was there any moment where you sort of reached your tipping point yeah, I would say 
I think when we were starting out, we were probably selling an idea and a vision, even though we had a platform. And I think we were probably seen as, oh, this sort of innovative thing, this different way of looking at community. Like I, I had somebody come up to me at our event last year and he said to me, you know, like, I don't really get what you guys do, but that's why I'm here. <laughs> and <laughs> Peter Thiel, you know, kind of says he doesn't like to invest in things that people get right away. Like sort of, so that sort of gave me a little bit of validation when I read that. But so I think part of it has been that it's been sort of something different. You know, we look at TED Talk and Netflix and masterclasses as our role models, not LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. So people don't totally get it right away. And now we're, I think we're in a different era where people do realize that they need community, right? They need online community. And then they look at the competitors who are replicating Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I think, you know, sometimes that feels really obvious. Other times people want something, I would say, much more tangible going back to what I said around product. Yeah. about creating something that has staying power, something of high quality. And we care a lot about design as well. And learning and design, particularly online, is really important to us. So I could go on and on, Tom, but that's... that's what, so we're, <laughs> we kind of, I think we went from kind of like a vitamin to a yeah. painkiller, and now people get it. So that's, that's awesome. That's for sure awesome, yeah. Took, exactly. took, took some pain to get there. Well, I mean, that's how I think it all starts with innovation. You know? when, you, when you create something truly innovative, then rather than invitation, because a lot of people, they mix that up. Yeah. Then there is nothing like it. And of course, you need to be the evangelist in this case in order to get the word out and for people to understand it. Because, yeah, uh, yeah but I definitely, I definitely think it's really hard to be so different that people don't really get. I mean, it, it's a rare thing, you know, to be, I don't know, to be a YouTube, right? Or to be a Facebook yeah. when they first started out. It's just, you know, so you do need to have an anchor point. You need to have a reference point. And so that helps too, definitely. Yeah, that's where positioning comes in. The art of positioning. The art, yes, darker. Exactly. So what are you most proud of achieving so far with platform and what customers do with that? I would definitely say our customers and going back to the quality, the quality of customers we have and some of the amazing things they're doing for impact, particularly you know, around sustainability, digitalization, inclusivity. A lot of our customers do have that social kind of components built in. I definitely think our customers are team. And then probably the personal journey of, you know, kind of staying clear of the VCs until we hit some real milestones, holding on to uh, value for as long as we can, being revenue funded for the most part, you know, having amazing angels, but not going down the VC path as early as a lot of our competitors are doing. I feel really personally proud about that, but that's possibly because we put in our own money and we have some backgrounds and stuff. But yeah, that's a long list. But yeah, I'm very proud. I would say number one is customers and, and team. The customers with it. Yeah, yeah. You already mentioned uh, the fact that you got my book on your desk. It's about, <laughs> it's about the 10 traits of a remarkable software business. So I'm always interested to, when I speak to people like you, what would you have put in the book as, for example, the number one trait? What do you believe is something that is an essential in order to create a company that lasts and that people talk about. What's well, essential and remarkable, I guess. Is that what you mean, Tom? Is that... Yeah. What is a trait that you need to have in order to be successful as a software business? Well, I guess it depends on the stage in some respects, right? So, True. you know, resilience, passion, you know, all, that, all the inspiration, you know, grit, all that stuff that you hear about, you need it. 
whether you're VC backed or not. But in terms of sort of outside looking in, I do believe in design and brand and having you know powerful why, being you know kind of grounding yourself in a purpose. And I know a lot of people talk about that and pay lip service to it. And there's a <laughs> there's too much of that going on in a way. But I think if you're true to it and you started out that way and you build your whole brand around, you know, we're a challenger brand, right? We're challenging social media. That's really what we're, how we started out. So like our name itself, is like a superhero name because we want to challenge, you know, social media. That's why we created Zapmito in the first place. So I think having that, yeah, not just sort of, but that being said, like that's one component. I think also just solving a problem that people, you know, like if you look at Twilio, they're just solving a problem. And they're doing it in an amazing way. So I think those are the two, and they, they probably stand for something. But as far as I'm concerned, when a developer buys Twilio, they need some help. They want to streamline their process, which is awesome, yep. right? So those that are the two things, I think. If you're, if you're solving a really hard problem in a novel way, or you stand for something and you're trying to not necessarily disrupt, I hate that word, but you're trying to change the status quo. Yeah. Or react yeah, that's, to that's the a good point. Quo. And I, I mean, yeah, that, that word disrupt is used too often. But I, well, what I like about the point that you just made is you chose upfront what type of brand you wanted to be, a challenger brand. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, good I, have a, I have a design and marketing background. So, you know, I really put a lot of thought into the name and the brand. Obviously, the problem we we're trying to solve. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it gives you a lot of guidance in terms of what you do and what you don't do. Yeah. Yeah. That, nor- that, things. The North Star that you talk about, like, that is so important because if you going back to the vision thing, that's your North star. If you lose sight of that, then you're in trouble. I think if you just care exactly, about the money. Exactly. Yeah. So let me see. We just talked about kind of running a remarkable software business or the, the essence of that. If you would have to give some advice to peer CEOs that are either aspiring to start running a company or transforming one, what advice have you got in the past or would you like to give them to make a difference? I mean, I think, I know this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but have a sense of humor, you know, like I know, I mean, I could rattle off all the stuff that people, you know, all all the be inclusive and be this, like all that stuff's there. Right. But one of the things that I think people don't value enough, like when shit is hard and and you you don't have a sense of humor about it, then it's 10 times harder. So, you know, this stuff is hard. So have a sense of humor and make people laugh and, you know, have fun. And so, yeah, I think having a sense of humor about stuff, Take it fucking seriously. Excuse my language, but you know, kind of joke around. Like, be silly too. You know, this it's hard. So, you know, it's life is too short. So, I know I, I could have gone like into like be inclusive and be all that stuff, but you know, one of the things I think no, is, I mean, most, is just be funny. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't, no, I mean, I hear yeah, this before. I mean, it's hard for an American um, sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. Don't take it personal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So what is next for you and what's next for Sepnita? Where do you want to be in, let's say, 12 months' time? I think just where we are, but on a trajectory towards, you know, exactly what we're doing, but in a bigger, better way, but be sustainable, not just be on this, like, growth path because that's what you're supposed to do, but also remember that it is about quality. It is about purpose. It is about having a sense of humor and growing at the same time. So I think that's the trajectory we want to be on is exactly what we're doing, but building off, you know, the scale. So I feel like we're on this sort of, we're at the scale up point. We just need to scale on top. I feel like every CEO says this, but I feel like we have an awesome culture and I want to, you know, and and when you're small, you want to protect it. And so that's 
I guess that would be a big aspiration for me is to protect our inclusive sense of humor culture where people, yeah. you know, feel like they have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I sometimes it's really hard because it, yeah, things grow. Other people come in with different capabilities and yeah, then you lose that essence. I've seen it happen in many different ways. Companies that got different funding structures suddenly changed overnight, whether they're going IPO or private equity, even leadership that take it to a certain level and then are replaced by someone else. It's very yeah. hard to keep it, but a very important thing to keep. So I like that. Yeah, definitely. So where can people find, well, go to find out more about your company, Zapnito, or to connect with you and say hi? Well, Zapnito.com and Charles at Zapnito.com. Yeah, send me an email. Definitely love to hear any feedback or whatever. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Success with the company. Success with scaling it and keeping the culture going. And Thanks, Don. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try. And I'll see you out there. And this ends my interview with Charles. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'd really value your feedback, so please share your thoughts about this episode or leave a review on iTunes. And if you'd liked it and got inspired by it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Charles Tiede, co-founder and CEO of Zapnito. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.